August is winding down, and it, college sports season is back. It's a beautiful thing. Uh, yes, this is a college basketball podcast. Yes, you listen to us because you want to think about hoops. But for me in particular, it is a very exciting week because Northwestern football is back. That means college football is back. They are off to Ireland to play against Nebraska. Uh, and uh, it's a sign that we are inching closer to college basketball. You know, I think we joked on this podcast, Brad, uh, in early July that, oh, you know, like it, it goes quick. You know, you go from recruiting weekends to international trips to the first day of classes to uh, full practice to the season very, very quickly. And we are kind of at that midpoint of, uh, you know, international trips coming to an end uh, and, of course, full practice getting started, which will happen in about a month. So uh, exciting time to be a uh, college sports fan. Exciting, you know, there, it feels like fall in the air. There's basketball or football football on the docket. And uh, I think we're, what, like 10 weeks away from college basketball, give or take, maybe 11. Not a bad, not a bad thing. Rothstein has the countdown going. Yeah. So, so the day. You, you did you did omit in, in your breakdown, you know, in oh, between boy. practice and the start of the season, we do have secret scrimmage season. Oh yeah, huge part of the deal. Which is a you know a thing in itself where you're just constantly refreshing Twitter to see the box score. Uh you know, if if one is leaked and then you get all the spin, you know, the team that loses, they weren't taking it seriously. They were trying out the rotations, they were doing a half a zone, a half a man, um, you know. <laughs> All, all these excuses are baked in, and when you win, it's it, it's a sign that that you know right. there well, I, there is there is success in your future. I forget who it was, but I think it was the, whoever was playing Wichita State last year. It might have like Texas Tech, but I remember vividly like the leaks came in like quick from all the Texas Tech people and, like, one of the national writers. They're like, I'm going to say Texas Tech. I'm not, I'm not 100% confident in this, but we'll just use that as a placeholder. Was it, oh, Texas Tech had beaten Wichita State by 25 in a secret scrimmage. And, of course, Wichita was coming off the American Championship, and it was a big deal. I was like, oh, my gosh, Texas Tech must be so legit, whatever. This is incredible. Uh, and, and then, like, the Wichita writer, like, the one Wichita writer, like, tweets out, like, actually, actually like, they played two separate halves, and the halves were, you know, the rotations were different in the halves. And in the first half, when Wichita State had its starters start, uh, it was a tie. But yeah. in the second half, you know, everyone used their rotation more, and it was a 25-point blowout. And you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, buddy. Um, and so it's kind of whatever you say. Yeah, I, sure. I remember with the the Providence Purdue one last year. Oh my God, um, the spin zone. The uh, Cooley said on, on the radio show before before the game that he and Painter agreed to play their actual rotations. And then obviously Purdue loses and Purdue fans, the, the first, the, the most common thing I saw was this game should not be taken seriously because Zach Eady started over Trivion Williams. And that would, that would never happen during the actual season. Lo and behold, <laughs> it happened literally, I think literally every game. If not close, if not every game close. So it's a great time. Lots of speculation. Everyone thinks they're going to be really good. I've gotten multiple texts from coaches saying, oh, you know, we're going to be better than last year. We're going to be the best we've been. Oh, my gosh, we look so good on an international trip. Oh, my gosh, this is so good. This is so great. Whatever. Everybody's undefeated. Even the teams that went on international trips, they claim they're undefeated. Those, those losses don't count. Uh, although, again, I, I think I said this last podcast. If I didn't, I'll say it again. 
the international strip results should be taken with a grain of salt more so than the secret scrimmages because a lot of times you have no idea who they're playing, especially if you don't get a box score. Like there are games where you are playing against a team that is worse than a division three team. Like the team that, you know, it's Stella Azura in Rome and they've played Drexel, Elon, Siena, Virginia, St. Louis, and the California Basketball Club, which is Bronny James's prep team. Uh, and they've lost all um, all the games. And they lost to Bronny James by, like, three points. Uh, but they lost to, like, Siena by 40. Um, like, that team is not good. But, like, that team has, like, some decent players who play for the U18 team in, I, I, uh, in um, Italy. But, like, Loyola Chicago, again, just for an example, uh, played against a team that had Stefan Moody – Ray Ana Embo and Silvio D'Souza. And then the next game, uh, they played a team that Michigan also played this team. Michigan and, and Loyola both played this team and they both lost that had Trey Scott from Cincinnati and Gabe DeVoe from Clemson, right? Like if you're playing 27-year-olds who also happen to be all league players in the high major level, that is very, very different than playing against some like random like Italian schmuck who's probably going to wind up being a plumber one day. Uh, so probably is a plumber currently. Or as a plumber currently, yes, Brad. So uh, all that's to say, get excited about your team if you want. No one's telling you not to, but make I sure. I mean, you're not open. excited now. I mean, well, what, right, yeah. what have you been doing the last five months? Yes. Well, and that's actually a good segue um, because there's one fan base that's extremely excited. Like, I haven't seen this level of excitement from a fan base. And part of it is because their staff is very Twitter active and they retweet a lot. Uh, so you see it all. Um, but the Kansas State fans – are just ready to explode. Uh, Kansas State gets Keontae Johnson officially over the weekend. Kind of a weird recruitment. Obviously, so much at play. The heart issue, the sexual assault allegation. It sounded like, okay, maybe it's Kansas State or Western Kentucky. Then Western Kentucky's out, but Nebraska's in, uh, and Memphis is in. uh, But then Nebraska pulls out because they didn't have enough time to do the medicals. Uh, and Memphis doesn't get a visit, even though theoretically they have the most NIL. It was all very strange, but he eventually does commit to Kansas State. And, you know, we talked about this when he first visited. No idea, right, what Keontae is at this point, right? I've seen highlights of him playing in, like, open gyms. He looks great, but he should look great if he's in an open gym. Most guys look great in highlights of open gyms. Is he ready to be an all-conference level player like he was at Florida? If he is, it would be amazing for Kansas State and it'd be a great story but even if he is I still think there's reasons to temper expectations here uh for Kansas State because the portal guys they brought in you know yes it was impressive to yes it was important for them to fill the spots because they had so many but with the exception of Keontae there just haven't been a lot of splashes so I do worry that maybe they're setting themselves up for a bit of disappointment. But if nothing else, the Keontae Johnson addition at Kansas State gives this team a little juice, a little bit of excitement on what was otherwise essentially a mid-major all-star team. And, you know, the, the fact that this – I'm, I'm going to come off as like an Iowa State hater. But I think that they're going to be good this year. I think that their defense is going to be sick. But you, we, we, that, we have an Iowa State hater. I don't remember what it was from. Um, oh no, because I said that like their uh, Sweet 16 was lucky. You said you you said they pulled it out of their ass. Um, right. And someone got very mad at, mad at it on Twitter, and I replied. I was like, 
They had no expectations. Their best player was Isaiah Brockington. They went, they started three and nine in the Big 12, got an 11 seed and made the Sweet 16. How is that not pulling it out of their ass? That doesn't mean it wasn't well done, but they pulled it out of their ass. Well, anyway, I, I hate what Iowa State has done to the discourse because now with the transfer portal, every team that's high major can put out a roster that you can reasonably say on paper has has at least a chance to do what Iowa State did last year. Right? I, I mean, there's only a handful of power six teams that you would say there's no way that they could make the tournament, given what Iowa State did last year. So now whenever we talk about a Kansas State or a Boston College or Penn State or like a, a, any of these teams that we just want to say they have no shot at making the tournament, we have to preface it with, well, we know Iowa State last year took a, a roster that didn't look great and made the tournament. But I don't think Kansas State has a shot. I mean, even if Keontae Johnson was Keontae Johnson, the supporting cast around him, I mean, these are high major runoffs. They're, you know, pr- probably at, at, at best, they're like fringe starters. I mean, Marquise Noel had a good year last year on, on, on a bad Kansas State team. We, I, still I still slayed say, I, I, Arkansas once upon a time. I was going to say but, briefly that, yeah. uh, like, Marquise, I, I watched so little Kansas State last year. There just was so little excitement uh, that I don't have a great sense of if Marquise Noel's numbers were, like, very empty or, like, actually very good. Um, I think he was good. Like I'm, But I don't know for sure. Go on, continue. But, I mean, if you're saying, what, your your three best players are Keontae Johnson, and that's assuming he is Keontae Johnson, um, not a hampered Keontae Johnson, but, like, the all-SEC type of guy who we saw last pre, pre-coronavirus. Uh, but if you're saying that your best three players are Noel, Sills, and Johnson, I mean, maybe that stacks up with, like, West Virginia's best three players or Oklahoma's best three players, but... You're still, you know, really at a talent deficit, especially in the Big 12, uh, which, which them or the SEC or the, you know, they're, they're up there as one of the strongest leagues again for next year. Yeah, like, so the thing, right? The, the, you're you're right about the Iowa State thing, right? Like you sit here and you you you, at least with Keontae Johnson, I can talk myself into this because there's like a legitimate best player, right? Like. Yeah. You sit here and you say, okay, well, like, 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 go through. Is Marquise Noel any better or worse than Jeremiah Williams, uh, John Michael Wright, Grant Sherfield, uh, you know, that crew of point guards? Probably not. Like, you might take Sherfield over him, you know, even Dewan Harris, right? I mean, Dewan Harris is great defensively, but like, yeah, obviously has his limitations as this creator. Davion Harmon was bad last year. Joe Toussaint, right? Like, could you, could I be talked into the fact that Marquise Noel? is on that level as a lot of these big 12 point guards. Yeah, I can. Okay. So now you got a best player. you got a real point guard. Um, you've got a, a real role player, right? Like Desi Sills averaged, like what was his best year at Arkansas statistically? He can shoot. I mean, he had definitely right, shot the makes, lights out one year. He makes corner threes. He's physical. He plays, plays up size wise, even though he, I think he's only like six, one, six, two. Um, you know, he averaged 10, he averaged 10 points a game. His uh, sophomore year at Arkansas, the first year under Moss, 
with um, Mason Jones and Jimmy Witt and Isaiah Jeff. Like he's a you like very like competent starting caliber player, right? Ishmael Masood is like a playable player. David Enyesan is a competent rotation caliber player. Um, the analytics really like Tyke Green. My eyes really disliked Tyke Green at Manhattan, but Stony Brook, he was apparently quite good. So maybe benefit of the doubt there, right? You've got Colbert and Eola to roll the dice at the five. You've got a former top 150 guy in Cameron Carter to, to roll the dice as a, as a scoring guard, potentially. Right, like this, right, when I look at this, I'm semi-convinced, right? Like, I'm, I'm, again, I'm not, I wouldn't say tournament, but like you said, you see it, like, through the Iowa State lens, um, and you say, okay, this team could work, right? This team is not doomed. This team has a chance to potentially play in the postseason, um, you know, if things break right. And, again, it might not, but – they have a great fan base. They're going to be energized to go in there. I think Tang is a really good coach, right? Like, I really do believe that. Um, I don't – I'm big on the Baylor tree generally. I, I, I think what Tang has gained from working for Scott Drew will be obvious. I think they have a good staff. Um, but it, it's still an uphill battle. But I think, right, with Keontae, if you're assuming you have something close to SEC player, preseason player of the year, Keontae, right, if you have – if he's as good of a best player as Trey Mitchell is as good as a best player, put it that way, this team has a little bit of excitement here. Something there's something here. So um, kudos to uh, I know you know there are some kind of character things now with Keontae because of the sexual assault allegation, but it will be cool to see him return to the floor. And I I really hope he is who he was because what he went through physically and so publicly was just so hard to watch and he has such a bright future ahead. And I, I hope that he's able to bring it all back in Kansas state, but it's such an unknown that it's hard to, hard to really say. I mean, the, in terms of recent memory, that's gotta be the, the biggest remember where you were when that happened in college basketball. Right? I was, I was in a football broadcast booth watching Northwestern football play Illinois. I was deciding December, whether to go December 12th, 2020. I was just deciding whether to go Christmas shopping or not. And then that happened. Then they, they like restarted the game and it just, it felt so, it was so weird. I, and I, I left people like jumping shopping. on Twitter. Like, yeah, that's COVID related. Yeah. That was Rob Doster who did that. He stoked the flames. It was bad. To get clout for, for, for your guys' website. I love Rob, but that was a rough day in general. No, I mean, everyone thought the season, the, yes. the, 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 the history of organized athletics was over at that point. Um, and then just lastly on, on, on yeah. Iowa State, for, for the record, I am, I, I think I'm high on Iowa State this year. I am top 40. No, you got you to gotta, you gotta stoke it, right? Like the fans already dislike you. You might as well just say they suck. No, I, I, I have too much principle you know I, I i have too much uh <laughs> integrity to my to my own rankings i'm not moving people up or down for reaction this this has got to the the only thing i care about is being right that's i mean that's this is that's true. everything is being right that's true. that's true so so currently right now as of august 23rd i have iowa state 
at, at 38 um, in between Purdue and Seton Hall. Fair enough. Um, I think just one more like significant roster move that needs to be touched on here, and you can let me know if I'm forgetting anything, Brad. Um, this was a weird one. It came through last night. Western Kentucky flips Emmanuel Acott from Memphis. And people were so cavalier about this. They're like, oh, it must be NIL or something. I don't know. Rick Stansberry. Like, shouldn't we dive in to this top 20 team in Memphis that has supposedly a ton of NIL capabilities, loses their starting small forward, and one of their most important players, a guy who really um, tied together this whole starting lineup, and they lose him to Western Kentucky? And now I've, I've sworn off Western Kentucky. They could add <laughs> Kevin Durant. They could add five NBA players. I'm not ranking Western Kentucky again. I won't do it. I had them 49th last year. Their best player didn't even play. <laughs> what are we doing here? And, and that, and I have to be specific. This is the most angry I've ever Williams heard. Keith and Zion Harmon didn't play, but I was talking about Keith Williams. Who, I told you Keith Williams wasn't going to play for a you're bit. Like, he's not going to play the first seven games. He was never to be heard from again. Yeah. But, yeah, I, I I, was watching the game live when Charles Bassey's leg fell apart. Oh. I'm done with Western Kentucky. So let's let's first talk about the implications of this from a Memphis standpoint, right? Like, I think we had talked a couple of podcasts ago about how Memphis had just like slowly but surely like pieced together a roster that looked like it was in really bad shape and put it into a position where like it actually looks pretty good, right? Like the Kendrick Davis, Acott, Keontae Kennedy, DeAndre Williams, you have Dandridge, and then the Ko Akabundu kid. You have you know some bench. Right, like you said, okay, this is a legit, you know, starting group, including an elite point guard and all these things. This could be a really good team. And losing ACOT feels like a massive wind out of the sail there. And again, not just because ACOT's good. ACOT's a fine ACOT's a glue guy. Like ACOT would have averaged like eight points a game for Memphis. He's not a big scorer, but he can handle the ball. Like he, he figured he's huge. out huh? He's like six eight, right? Right. He's six eight. He can guard four positions. He can play a little point guard. Um, he can you know, defend, he can make, make threes. Like he's a super valuable commodity, even though he's not a huge scorer. So if you had that and then you lose that. And now again, the trickle down here, because it's late August, you don't think they're going to fill the spot. Now you're going to slide Lomax into the starting rotation. You're going to play Kendrick Davis as like a scoring guard with Lomax because Lomax can't score. Um, you know, now you need something from Jaden Hardaway or Elijah McCadden. You know, now you need something potentially from Jonathan Lawson. So, you know, you, you start to look at the team and you say, okay, now, now they're not that deep. Their wings are poor. You know, their center position has no offensive pop between Dandridge and KO. It's basically just DeAndre Williams and Kendrick Davis. Keontae Kennedy was a, you know, failed experiment at Xavier and was the second or third best player at UTEP this past year. Like, what is this team? I don't think this is a tournament team. Like the, 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 no. this roster, to me, without ACOT, looks no. like it looks like an SMU team with Kendrick Davis around it. You don't think it's a tournament team, Brad? I think I I still have them in the top twenty-five. Really? I moved them from eighteen to twenty-five. You have Kendrick Davis and DeAndre Williams alone as a top twenty-five team. 
with Penny Hardaway coaching them? I mean, Dandridge is is good. I mean, he's not kind of the same thing we were talking about with Brad. The same thing we were talking about with with Croswell. These guys, they're, they're not aesthetically pleasing. They're just big. They're physical, and they get shit down around the basket. DeAndre Williams, the past two years, has put together really good, like super glue guy performances. Davis is a top 15 player in the sport. Keontae Kennedy, you're saying, is a failed experiment at Xavier, but Dallas is a three-star freshman. You know, we've seen time and time again these guys, either they get run off or they get impatient. Uh, and it turns out at the end of the day, they would have been a, a, a pretty good high major player when it was all said and done. I, I, I could easily see Kennedy falling into that category. And you're right, the, the depth isn't, isn't good. Um, but, like, Lomax isn't a bad player. Every year... It's Memphis fans say we can't have Lomax be the starting point guard. And then we're like, when it's all said and done, he's playing pretty well at the end of the year. So, at least this year it felt like that. So so the third, so, so they're going to start two guys who are six feet tall. Their third best scorer is going to be I, who is the third best scorer at UTEP. Uh, they have no bench. That's that's the top 25 team? Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, now, their, 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 their bench is going to have – Two transfers with McCadden and KAE. We'll see how those guys are. I honestly couldn't couldn't even begin to predict. I mean, Jonathan Lawson was a top 100 recruit. Jaden Hardaway has been a, been a fringe rotation player for, what, three years now? Chandler Lawson is still there. I presume he's, he's, he's washed. but um, He's washed, yep, yep. We'll see. And then they got... A international roll of the dice too the other day, so that's true. We'll okay. see, but I mean, Davis and Williams are two top 40, 50 players in the sport. Davis is like a top 15 player in the sport, right? I don't know if I would say top 15 for Kendrick Davis, but yes, he's very good. And now maybe maybe 25 is a little too high, but I I I had them at 18. And when ACOT left, I was like, oh, I got to move them all the way down to, like, 40. And then I was t- taking a second look, and I was like, well, ACOT hurts their overall synergy. Um, but I still think that there's enough here that that they'll be good. Well, um, we should uh, at least touch on the impact for Western Kentucky. I know you say you're not going to hype them up. You got to be careful, whatever. And yes, there is a very clear ceiling, right, with with Rick Stansberry. The talent that they've had come through this place and even get on the floor. I mean, again, obviously, like you, like you said, they're, 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 they've had issues with getting guys onto the floor. Um, but the level of player, the caliber of guy that they've had, whether it's Davion McKnight, whether it's you know high major proving guys like Jarius Hamilton and Jalen Butts last year, uh, they had Jamarian Sharp last year, obviously over here at Bassey. Josh Anderson, um, Tavion Hollingsworth could really, really score. They got the Carson Williams kid. They got the Jared Savage kid who was really good to shoot it. Like they've had so much talent. And for the most part, they've been consistently, they, they had one really good year. Sansbury's second year, they were 47th in Ken Palm. And I think they were in the mix for, a, for an at-large. And they went up with like a three or a four seed in the NIT. Um, but for the most part, they've kind of hovered in that like 100 to 120 range of Ken Palm. 
That's been the ceiling. And I think that's probably where they'll wind up again. I think that's a reasonable place to rank them. But it's hard not to look at this talent and say, holy cow, this could be good, right? You have a, a returning front court of Jarius Hamilton and Jamarian Sharp. We know Jarius Hamilton can play a high major. We've been watching him at Boston College. We've watched him at Maryland. Um, and, and last year at West Kentucky, I think he averaged like 12 points a game, if I'm not mistaken. Um, let me check that, too. Confirm. Jamarian Sharp, though, is one of the – you know, probably the best rim protector in the sport. He's seven foot five. Uh, he's got this very raw offensive game that is coming along, uh, you know, and really did show signs at, at points was a priority was a top 20 transfer in the portal. Um, so you got this returning front court, you add Dante Allen, big time shooter. You bring back Luke Frampton, big time shooter. You add Jordan Rawls back. He could really make shots. Um, you bring in Christian Lander, which is a tremendous roll of the dice, right? Former five-star recruit. Yes, he was bad uh, at Indiana, but I'd roll the dice with it. And then reclass you bring guy. back, huh? Yeah, he was a reclass guy. guy. And you bring back Davion McKnight, who is one of the better mid-major guards in the country. And you add that all together, and you just add in this six-foot-eight former top thirty recruit who does everything, could play two through four. How do you not get excited? And there might even be some like role allocation here, right? Like Davion is the guy. You have Lander as like a potential shooting guard or six man. Allen to score, Acott to do everything else, Sharp to block shots. That works. It's always worked. They had Charles Bassey, who's in. He was like in the rotation a little bit for the 76ers this year. That's true. Is um Jamarian Sharp a top 100 player? Like, is he better than, like, Janai Broom and Jesse Edwards? I would say yes on Jesse Edwards. On Broom, I think it depends on what you value. I mean, we know you love the defensive center, Brad. So. I do. If you like this, the defensive center, he is the defensive center. I, I thought I saw it shatter that he's a block chaser. He's not actually a good defensive center. I mean, he, he did block four and a half shots per game. Even if he's a block chaser, that's still a good <clears throat> a good deal. I'll have to watch. No, I, I, I can't watch Western Kentucky. The, well, here's the thing that's good about Western Kentucky. They also never fouled last year. They had a 16.4% opposing free throw rate, which is number one in America. So if you never foul and you block a shit ton of shots, that's pretty dangerous. Usually that's not a winning – that's not a combination you see. So. Speaking of fouling – one thing I think could benefit Jesse Edwards this year is because he uh, he had like an incredible amount of fouls last year. Yeah. But his perimeter defense was like the worst in the history of basketball. That's true. I mean, you both Bayheims. Cole Swider was an NBA player who Jay Wright wouldn't play because his defense was so bad. He had an NBA player on the bench. He was like, yeah, I don't think so. Um, and then Joe Joe Girard is it was back, but. Um, I, I think going from Beheim and, and yeah. the, the uh, Beheims and Swider to Mince, Bunch, and Williams, I think that'll help Edwards stay out of foul trouble. That's a good point. Um, do you have any other news pegs you want to hit on? Recruiting anything big come across the wire, recruiting-wise lately? I know there's been some crystal ball action, but 
Oh, I, I wanted I wanted to talk talk crystal ball for a minute. Okay, fair enough. It is on such a heater. I mean, they're they're running at like ninety eight percent across rivals two four seven and on three. They're just everything is has seemingly been been correct recently. Very few switch picks. I'm I'm very impressed. But now Jamie Shaw took the biggest swing in crystal ball history, I think. Uh, because he, he he put one in for Bronny to Oregon, and LeBron came out and was like, "No, it's not true." Uh, so we're we're gonna really test the the power of Crystal Ball if if that can withstand that a public call out from LeBron, uh, then then there's no stopping the uh, Crystal Ball industry. Well, there are a few quick trends on Crystal Ball that are worth noting. I know there's a bunch of steam for JP Estrella Tennessee. I know there's a good amount of steam for. Uh, he would join Freddie DeLone in that class, which would be a pretty good developing class for Barnes. Um, there's been a good amount of steam for Amani Hainsbury. Uh, I don't know if I'm pronouncing his name wrong, uh, but he's like a high energy forward from Team Durant uh, to Illinois. A lot of people I know really like that kid. Um, there's been a lot of steam for Deshaun Harris Smith to Maryland, which would build an even stronger class in year one under. Um, Kevin Willard. I don't know if I don't know if the, the rankings don't necessarily um, play it out, but like the kids that Maryland has signed, I love Jonathan Lamoth and Jamie, Jamie Kaiser. They're both like one's ninety six, one's one forty five. So Kaiser's Kaiser, going way up. Jamie Kaiser's in twenty four. I uh, was with the Under Armour thing. He is awesome. Glue guy, energy, make shots, athletic defends high you know vocal like that kid is going to be a freaking great player for kevin willard and i liked the lamoth kid i mentioned him. he's a team durant kid i think i mentioned him after one of the july periods i was at he's long he's a slashing point guard um he can play with the ball he can play a little bit without it he's smooth he gets rebounds he stuffs the stat sheet uh, like that kid is going to be good. So if you get someone like Deshaun Harris Smith, you get someone like El Marco Jackson, who they're working hard on, who has made a big jump in the rankings as well. This is going to be a banner first class uh, for Kevin Willard. Jamie Kaiser, I believe, is up to top 50. Lamont is still be. top 150. He should um, absolutely be top top 50. He's an elite. He's an elite recruit, and he's a multi potential multi year, three four year guy. Uh, even though he has NBA, I think he does have NBA potential. He's not going to ever blow up the stat sheet. Like he's not going to be like the dogged defender that like a. He's not going to be like straight three and D like Aaron Wiggins. But I think it could be like a similar career arc if that makes sense. And that's a hugely impactful recruit. Um, so that's that. One. Uh, here's one we didn't mention actually. Um, that we should is Tafara Gapare. Uh, <laughs> going to UMass. Where is he? Weird deal. So, so Mr. Gapare. Uh, was a 20 he's from New Zealand he was a 2021 George Washington commit to Jamie and Christian then he opened up uh was play moved to 2023 was playing this summer on EYBL even though I think he's already 19 um he plays for Team Mella uh he's like the third or the fourth player like athletic forward uh commit get, gets all these like all these offers after like one weekend like it pretty much seemed like Nobody, I, I, I remember like we texted about this, Brad. Like all of a sudden, everyone cared about Tafara Gapare again. 
which happens in the recruiting, but it was literally like everyone offered him in the same weekend. He commits, he puts out a top seven that's like got pro options. It's got these like big program names on there and DePaul. And he goes to DePaul. Like, what? <laughs> uh, and he's committed for like a month, then he decommits. Then it's dead silent. You're like, what is he doing? He was he didn't play that well in July. Um, and then all of a sudden, now he's going to UMass for 2022. So first off, congratulations to Mr. Gapare uh, for being the first player that I know of in college basketball history to be committed to three different schools and three different classes. Um, but there's now like high, high, high excitement about the Minutemen. Part of it may be justified. They also added Isaac Conte um, to give him some front court depth uh, from LIU. He also had stops at Hofstra and Georgia. Uh, what do we make of this whole situation? What do you make of UMass, which has a very interesting roster with a lot of familiar names? Noah Fernandes, Razul Diggins, Matt Cross, Wildens Levesque, Gapare, Conte. Um, they took Gianni Thompson. Uh, they have, you know, some of the, these other two freshmen, RJ Luis and Keon Thompson, who are pretty well regarded. Um, you bring back TJ Weeks, who can really make shots. Like, there's some there's some talent here. There's some serious talent here for an A10 team. Yeah, I, I think UMass is probably a top 100 team. I think they're probably fourth, fifth, or sixth in the, in, in the A10. I think between VCU and Lo- Loyola. Maybe even throw George Mason, who I tentatively have at three. I think, think you could say all three of those teams, or all, all four of those teams are on one tier. It is funny because they had a bunch of late additions, but it looked like Frank Martin was going to play kind of spread out with like Matt Cross at the fours, like a stretch four. And then he adds all these bigs, and it's like he's, he's, he's going back to bully ball, which I think will be more, more effective in the A10, having this huge front line. You know, with guys like Levesque, who was a starter at South Carolina. Woodley was a rotation guy at South Carolina. Conte just had a great year at Long Island. Also has SEC experience. Um, so they're, they're going to have this big front line. A big wing either with, with, with Cross and probably a little bit of Thompson. Um funny, Will, uh, Razul Dickens... Come off the bench now. That, well, that, I, was, yeah. I was literally just about to mention Diggins because I see a lot of like UMass, you know, UMass is a very dedicated Twitter following. And I give them a lot of credit because, you know, this fan base has been kind of tortured. They've had lots of reasons for hype and lots of reasons to be pissed. But that fan base is, is like energetic and fun and mostly like not haters. You know, like there are a lot of fan bases that are like annoying in your mentions, like VCU's fans, Dayton's fans. Like, if you cross them, they will like hit back like UMass's fans are like remarkably civil like very like interesting generally to be around or t- tweet around I guess um and like I see like just next to no love for Razul Diggins like this guy was a top 60 recruit like they're they're talking about him like he's the eighth man like what is going on I think what? he's either the fifth or the sixth man I think either he's starting over TJ Weeks or he's the sixth man um, well, so, so I think I think the big thing for me with UMass is like Frank has had his fair share of struggles at South Carolina when he was building it over time of 
figuring out which rotations work, losing games he shouldn't in the non He plays a ton of guys. He plays walk-ons. Guys, right? They've had weird things stylistically. Like at times he was playing super fast in South Carolina. At times he was playing super slow. They're fair, you know, fouling all the time, right? Like it's a Never very weird. Never any shooters. Right. It's a very weird style. Um, it's a gazillion new guys in one. Like, is this going to work right away? Right. Like, is this is this team going to, like, take a bunch of lumps in the non-con and, you know, have to figure it out? And then Frank kind of figure it out, OK, we're just going to beat everyone by being tougher. Like, I, I'm, I'm wondering, like, where they're like what what it takes to kind of figure it out and get over the hump. Uh, but look, the talent is very impressive. Right. Like you go through this team. I think most of these guys are like capable high major players. Right. Gapare. Better or worse, was a high, like a legit high major recruit. Uh, Conte was uh, recruited to be a high major player out of high school. Was a double double guy at Hostra. Was productive at LIU. Presumably could have went high. Levesque is obviously high. Matt Cross is obviously high. Diggins is you know a top sixty recruit. Fernandes was really good, really right? freaking good last yeah. year. Weeks can really shoot. Right, like this team has legitimately like seven or eight like very clear high major level players. And there's very few teams that can match that, but the role allocation is weird. The talent, you know, how it all fits together with Frank. It's just, it's a little too much for me to dive all the way into it, but I'm excited. Like I, I want to watch UMass play this year. So that's, that's I, don't, not I, I don't think that the role allocation is crazy. I mean, you have a, a good point guard in Fernandez. You have a, a scoring guard in Diggins shooter in weeks. Cross is going to be a probably high high volume scorer, and then you have, you know, I I think that there's enough minutes to go around between Conte, Levesque, and Woodley. We're not sure if Tafara is going to be academically eligible. That's true. Um, and that that will and then Thompson, he he can play the three and the four. He'll obviously play more if uh, Tafara Kapari is out, but I think that's a fine. Eight right there. Yep. It'll be interesting. Time's uh, another very intriguing group in the A-10. We've talked about how URI has some intrigue with Brian Freeman, Anthony Harris, and Brandon Weston. I think that's probably its clear tier below, but with a good coach, you know, that there's no reason that group couldn't play its way in the top half. Richmond still has Tyler Burton. George Mason, you mentioned, is very talented with Ticket and Joshua Duro and Justin Fernandez and Victor Vic- Bailey. Victor Bailey. Uh, Loyola's talented. Um, you know, I know they went one and two on their international trip. But like Sheldon Edwards playing as well as he did is a good sign. Phil Alston getting you know, looking good at times. St. Thomas looking good at times. Ben Schweiger and Jalen Quinn looking good at times. Those are all good signs. Um, VCU has Jaden Nunn and Ace Baldwin and Brandon Johns and Zeb Jackson. Um, you know, trending down as you say that. Dayton's obviously super talented. Davidson's, you know, you'd think will be well coached and certainly has the shooting. So the league is going to be so much freaking fun once again. So looking forward to that. Um, do you have any other recruiting notes, Brad, before we yes. uh, move on? Oh boy. Of course. Louisville. Oh, yes. They had a guard. Fabio? Fabio Basili. Who reclassed? He's an international guy. I think he was in the class previously. Then he was up and back. Yeah, and who knows? He was. Um, but with the news last night that Emmanuel Acott was, was flipping to Western Kentucky, I just had like this deja vu moment where a Louisville roster with Emmanuel Acott 
would look exactly like Boise State's roster did this past year. Yeah. That, like Albert Ellis is the uh, Marcus Shaver scoring point guard. Acott literally played the two last year at Boise State, and that was a huge advantage for the Mountain West having such a huge two guard, right? I'm I'm sure that could give Louisville a nice a nice edge in the ACC. I mean, they would they have a huge two through five, um, super physical, and you know you you could slot him there at the two, and then either um, Kamari Lands or Michael James at the three. Pair of freshmen, James coming off the injury, uh, and then you have like five different guys you can th- th- throw out there on the front court. Um, with like Sidney Curry and Roosevelt Wheeler could be the Malad Narmish, and then Hatfield and, and, and Withers have a little uh, face-up game at least theoretically. You know, be the Dagan Hart. I'm not sure they shoot as well as he does, but they have a lot more skill, a lot more athleticism. Um, you know that that could be a look for Louisville. You know that that could be like an identity of just like super size, like these huge wings, two bigs, scoring guard. Uh, but do they not care? Are they resigned to this roster? I don't know how they're going to practice still with two competitive teams. You got to think Louisville has more NIL than Western Kentucky. I mean, Lincoln's a good player. He, he he could be like a fringe NBA guy. That's someone that 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 deserves some NIL capital, especially when when your roster looks like this. So so yeah, my 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 favorite thing about this and and again this this is not meant as any disrespect to Fabio Basili, who I'm sure is. A wonderful young man, and is probably he could be fine. Who knows? Yeah, could be a fine player, but he was like the fourth or the fifth best player in the Florida Rebels on the UIBL circuit. That team had uh, the kid going to Alabama, who's like the who's supposedly like White Herb Jones. They had the kid who's going to they have Sean Stewart who's going to Duke. They have a couple of kids. He was like their fourth or fifth best player. He averaged like eight points a game, and you know he's a three star kid. And L. Ellis quote tweeted Joe Tipton's announcement for Mr. Basili committing with y'all was so worried. I don't want to see nothing but positivity from now on 100. I just like, I could not stop laughing at the idea that, Oh, you know, everyone was worried about Louisville. You know, they're, they're going to struggle. Uh, but, but now we got a, we got a three-star point guard who was like a role player in UIBL this summer. Uh, and that, now, now, now the danger's clear. You know, now, now we're good. It, it is very puzzling. I mean, it really is that they have not done more in terms of the portal or in terms of reclasses, right? I mean, realistically, all they've done is they took Dev, they got Devin Ree uh, out of who's a project LSU, he's very thin, right? He, he can shoot and he'll be good in a couple of years, but he is he, he's someone who when I watched him. He wasn't really making an impact because he's so skinny and he's like a shooter. And like he doesn't have great ball skills. Right. But they they, they got Re, they got Brandon Huntley Hatfield, who was probably disappointing at Tennessee in year one, has an amazing body, doesn't seem to use it, likes to fade away. Um, Weak last guy. Certain guy. Again, former top 40 recruit, well worth the up, well worth the swing, even though it didn't necessarily feel a huge positional need. Um, but like, LLS averaged eight points a game last year on a team that was in like the 100s in Kempom. You know, Withers was dreadful. Sidney Curry, for all of the, oh, you know, he played well, he was productive, he averaged like seven points a game. Like this roster, when compared to other rosters, is not good. Maybe it will turn itself around. 
and and again, maybe we will, you know, rue the day we question Kenny Payne's devotion to JJ Trainer and Kamari Lance. But at the end of the day, like you're Louisville, you're a top 20 program, and you watch what everyone else has done this spring, right? And the players that they've brought in. And again, I don't mean to, you know, like Florida, for instance, Florida, Todd Golden. Um, you know, good coach, obviously, um, experience, but never been in the, the, the big leagues with the exception of a year as an assistant at Auburn. He's not, you know, some monster. And they didn't throw around a huge NIL this spring. I can tell you that per source. Um, because if they did, they'd have Jani Broom. Um, they got Kyle Lofton, Will Richard, Alex Fudge, Trey Bonham, and then they took a freshman in Riley Kugel uh, and then convinced Kawasi Reeves and Colin Castleton to stay put. Right? Like, if you're Louisville, what is the sell? What, what is the sell that you're a better place for Alex Fudge? Right? They don't even need Alex Fudge. What, what is this? A, why, why, uh, Riley Kugel was committed to Mississippi State to play for Cormac Christ or whatever. We'll, we'll ignore Kugel. What are we doing? Why is one of Kyle Lofton and Trey Bonham not a Louisville card? Right? And again, I understand we don't think all these guys are good enough. Michi Johnson's at South Carolina. This team would be better if they had Michi Johnson. Right? Like, Shaquille Moore hits the portal. Doesn't go anywhere eventually. What are we doing? Right? What are we waiting for? All these other schools. And again, maybe, maybe it is a clear strategic thing to have left these spots open the way that Kenny Payne did. I don't know why. There is no clear explanation, but it is a clear strategic thing. There were opportunities to go get players that would make this team look more competitive on paper. He didn't take them. And I wonder, I, I just don't get it. I just can't wrap my head around it. And I'm not, uh, there's no bigger picture in my mind to see, but again, maybe, maybe all these guys will look great and I'll be wrong, but like, like I, yeah, I, think, by... I think this team is presently constructed is going to go 0 three at the Mount invitation. Well, so by 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 the roster I have down for them, they they have ten scholarship guys now with with Fabio included. Correct. Were they like envisioning sanctions that they left some open? Uh, but that's, that's never really possible. the move. That's actually possible. Yeah. But that, that that's never the right. You never want to self-impose, right? That's that's w- what we've learned over these past few years. You just kind of appeal and deny and and, and and kick the can down the road. Uh-huh. And I think even if they did hit him with sanctions. They wouldn't make Louisville take it this year. Like they wouldn't kick somebody off the team. They would just Correct. do it for the next few years. Correct. So maybe that that's related. But like you look at this team, in terms of like recruiting pedigree, it like looks looks solid. Um, it, it looks preferable to some of the teams in the bottom, or like the kind of middle bottom of the ACC. But when when you dig into it. And not e- not even from a synergy perspective, like how these lineups are gel, but but just from the players themselves. Um, you mentioned, you know, the moderate successes that Curry and Ellis have. You know, they they have to take a step up. You know, I'm sure a guy like Wheeler will take a step. Um, Hunley Hatfield was was a great gamble, but he he was not productive last year at Tennessee, and there. You know, if if they're in on playing these two bigs, like playing Hunley Hatfield and Curry together, I mean, 
that's what they're committed to. Um, Withers, I think, he had a great freshman year uh, and then took a step back last year, like most of the Louisville team with the whole circus. What what kind of player is he? They can try to use him at the three. And when uh, he had the most success, he was playing the five. Um, trainer was kind of an afterthought, right? Uh, we talked, we touched on Rian Basili, um, and then Michael James was a top 75 recruit in 2021, but he tore. I I remember the specifics, but he had a season-ending injury last year. So so you have a freshman coming off that, who penciled in as your starting three man, and then you're starting two Kamara Lands, a, a top 50 recruit. We're seeing everywhere t- top 50 recruits are, t- are typically coming off the bench and just kind of showing flashes. You know, last year I was like, are we collectively underrating the top 50 recruit? And I was looking specifically at Rizul Diggins, Jalen Warley, Jordan Hawkins, and like Warley and Hawkins showed flashes. Diggins didn't even play. You know, he wasn't even in the rotation. So this Louisville thing could still go bad. I think when, when you compare them to the mill, like a Syracuse, like an NC State. I think you got to take those two teams over, over the Cardinals. I, I, I think you got to put the Cardinals down toward the bottom, bottom of the league. I mean, they have one experienced guard. The roster's funky, and the, the raw talent that they do have is really not a sure thing at all. And again, the coach, Kenny Payne, is clearly has shown value in his career. Like, was arguably the most valuable assistant coach in the country. But, like, we don't exactly have evidence to suggest, like, there's a massive bump that belongs to a Kenny Payne team, right? Like, you know, and, and look, I said very positive things about Jerome Tang, and, you know, I shouldn't – it shouldn't necessarily be, oh, well, Tang, you know, Tang is going to get a bump, but he doesn't – but uh, Payne doesn't. That's probably not fair, but, like, you know – I have no problem if you want to say like, oh, you know, I, 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 I'm a huge believer in Todd Golden because of the success he had at San Francisco. I think he's a really good coach, right? Like we've talked about like guys like Nico Medved or, uh, you know, Craig Smith who've done it in multiple places, right? Like there's no evidence here that suggests like Kenny Payne is like a elevator of mediocre talent, you know? And that's, and that's, that's going to be something to watch because we have teams that, really tweak their rosters late. I mean, Memphis losing guys, right? But um, Kansas State added guys late. Houston added a grad uh, backup center late. Which so, which completely backfired because then they lost Kyrie and Powell. Which we'll, we'll touch on that in in, in a minute. Um, I don't actually think we need to touch on losing your third string center at Houston, but continue on anyway. But like Duke added Tyrese Proctor late. Um, and then you have teams like Louisville, like Michigan State. That you can even throw Villanova in the mix too. Um, that are just kind of like, you know what? We're okay with, with what we have here. And it's gonna be interesting to see which which method prevails, right? Will a Michigan State be looking up in March and be like, you know, we 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 really should have tried to add a 10 point per game small fall. Right. Well, it's also like, you know, Michigan State could be a top 25 team and people are like, oh, the you know, it was vindicated. Like, no, like, could have been better. 
So anyway, that's that. And then I don't just on the Houston thing. Yeah, sure. You know, that's that's you know what I was asking teams to do is fill out your roster with these kids that have have the COVID year and they they have nothing better to do. You you lose a guy off off the bench. It's going to be interesting because it's also possible that this has nothing to do with Sidarius Bowser. And quite frankly, right. if um if any recruit or any player on a Houston on a, on a team the caliber of Houston is intimidated because a kid who averaged five points a game at Charleston Southern came in, then they're not a winner. Like they're not going to help you. And I, I don't mean that to insult Powell because I have no idea what. Was right, these are moves could be here. backwards. It could be Powell was leaving, right. so they, they went knew, out of right. that yes. But it, like in 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 like this hypothetical world that like we've created there, where Mr. Powell uh, saw them take Sidarius Bowser, I was like, oh shit, you know. Then he's really not that bright. What have you got a point? But continue. And like, I I I I'm still a firm believer in like filling up 10, 11, 12 with these three-star freshmen or whatever, and trying to d- develop them. And if they leave, it's really not a big deal. Like may- maybe Powell turns out to be okay. Like a Keontae Kennedy. Um, but at the end of the day, no one should be losing sleep over. Yep. Losing num- number 13. Um, I believe the only thing we, left, we have left that we really want to have on the show was we wanted to build off of the Jerome Tang uh, Kansas State discussion and talk about some of the first-year coaches we think have a good chance of succeeding, or not succeeding, but winning in year one, and some who we think uh, might struggle. And this also kind of works with Kenny Payne as well, so I'm glad we talked about all, both of those already. Um, I did a study a couple of years back um, for Hoop Vision with Jordan Sperber that basically said that, like, the chance of a coach, like, lasting at a program and, like, being a, like, a successful coach moving forward uh, had little to do with their first and second year that essentially guys could you know overachieve their first two years relative to expectations which expectations were Ken Palm preseason rankings uh, and struggle in the future so yeah we know it's not foolproof but it does feel like winning year one still does have a a, a meaning in terms of momentum in terms of helping build recruiting set the tone and in this day and age what you know keeping the fan base on your side which is a huge deal because you know that expectations management is critical. Because if the family said two guys you, quit midseason, right? Yeah, because it basically got too toxic, and you know we could potentially see that again. So, uh, with that being said, uh, some guys who I think are well positioned year one. Look, obviously, like John Shire is well positioned to win in year one. I don't think that's an overly hot take. Uh, Kyle Neptune probably going to be okay you know like i don't know it's a hot league. take go ahead i, I think villanova is going to win the big east creighton hater is that what i hear looking at that villanova roster right i i i think people are really underrating caleb daniels and eric dixon mm-hmm. i mean villanova guys make the jump every year i mean eric Eric Dixon, he redshirted, then he was out there and he stunk, and he was out there and he was solid, and now he's like, I mean, he, he had a really good year this past year. I I think he's poised to make it on the jump. I mean, he, he was a great recruit, too. I think he can make a jump. They got 
NBA top-end talent in Cam Whitmore. You're going to have all this length and athleticism with Brandon Slater and, and Whitmore playing 3-4. The bench is filled with former top, like, 50 recruits. And then we we saw Mark Armstrong had a good summer U18. And I, 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 I think Daniels is going to take a step and be that go-to scorer and be a guy who's like a top 50 player in, in, in the sport, uh, be be someone who maybe a fringe All-American, uh, really pick up the slack of what Justin Moore and Colin Gillespie are, are leaving off. Because previously, he came off the bench with a spark plug, hit some threes, attacked the rim. Uh, but now I think he's really going to expand his game, kind of like he did when he was a two-lane green wave. So I think the only thing I kind of am worried about with Villanova is just like, is there a Jay Wright bump, right? Like, were all these guys actually elite or were they good players that Jay Wright helped make great and that fades some when you don't have Jay Wright coaching him? I don't care how good Kyle Neptune is. He's not Jay Wright. Um, and I think but the other maybe – did maybe Kyle Neptune was he doing all the development of these players while Jay Wright was coaching? I think the only other thing I worry about is generally Villanova's been elite when they've had elite point guard play, and they've generally not relied on a freshman point guard. And I don't think the combo of Armstrong and Little Arch is going to really play at that level. I still think Creighton's super talented. And I just think that, like, there's a youth and an experience level at the key position of point guard for me that is enough to say I think Creighton does win the Big East. But I do think Villanova's going to be really good. I, 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 don't, I don't foresee this thing falling off the cliff by any means. Kind of an aside. Yep. You see uh, Marion Ellis got hurt? Could be done for the year? I did not. I guess his timetable would put him to start rehab like a conference play, so I think he's probably in a red shirt. Probably. Uh, one of those teams I, w- I wanted to see, you know, they have all these young guys who stuck around. I, I-, I was really curious to see how this is going to play out, and I-, and I still am, but they just took one guy out of the equation. There was another injury, too, that I wanted to mention that I'm trying to think here. We, we said Boswell's hurt, right? Um, Which one? Kylan Boswell's hurt. Oh, I missed that. A broken foot, I believe I saw. That's big. Reclassified kid, too. They they have enough depth to, to withstand yes. that because you have Creason and Ramey at the point. But I think the thing, you worry about, the thing you worry about is like if he loses a bunch of time now, is he ever actually like ready to help? Right. This year. So we shall see. But back on track, we were talking yeah. – I wanted to hit on the two uh, Big East guys, or the three Big East guys, Shaheen, uh, Thad Mata, and uh, Sean Miller. I think, again, I mean, expectations are relative at each of these spots. right? Like Xavier, the minimum is make the tournament because that was the Travis Steele failing. Uh, with Shaheen, I think the Seton Hall expectations, or the hope, right, is win a tournament game because that was the failing under 
Kevin Willard was winning games in the tournament, moving moving on, and obviously Shaheen now has a reputation because of what he did at St. Peter's. And at Butler, like, is tournament or is, do you feel like it's tournament or bust? Like, I kind of feel like it's MIT or bust. I think if it's tournament or bust this year, they're going to be very disappointed. You're down on the Bulldogs. Interesting. I I think their roster is clearly ninth or tenth. Yeah. I mean, I've I've never been a huge Chuck Harris guy. If Manny Bates is healthy, I mean that's that's cool. He's someone who prior to last year I thought he was going to be a top 100 player. Um, so if he's healthy and good to go, the the, the whole but- Butler optimism, right? It's Eric Hunter with the shackles off. Chuck Harris taking another little jump with more responsibility. Manny Bates being healthy. And then it's really a Jaden Taylor breakout and or a Lacocious breakout. Or even Miles Tate being healthy. And I think the thing, the thing with Butler that I like is that all of the improvement that's needed to get to be a tournament team is all like incremental. Right, like they're not looking with the way the roster is constructed. You're not looking and saying, "Oh, well, we need Seamus Lukosius to become an All Big East player to become a you know turning caliber team." Right? No, like, but you, you may need Taylor or Lukosius to be like a 12, 13 point player. Right. You, you, they just need all like they just need a bunch of like okay, they need Manny Bates to be healthy. They need Eric Hunter to be a real real threat offensively. They need Chuck Harris to be a legit first option. They need one of Jaden Taylor and Lukosius to be a legit. You know, counterpart. They need Ali to be steady at the four. Right? Like they need all these things that are like pretty reasonable, but it's a lot of different things. Uh, I just think there was an excitement because they were getting talent and they just didn't feel like they were towards the end with Laval. Uh, but do I think they're a tournament team? Probably not. I'm intrigued. I want to go to Hinkle. Uh, I want to see them early. Uh, and I don't think their schedule necessarily like makes for that to be like a super smart thing to do, but I might just do it anyway because I want to go to Hinkle. Um, should I? Should I? I don't know if, if if you started any sort of rankings yet. Out, a, um, but can I run through some of the teams I have at around my cut line and compare them to Butler? Sure. How about USC? Oh, I think I would say USC is better. I, I think Ellis and Peterson are. Would, would probably both be Butler's best player. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah. Reese Dixon Waters is in for a breakout. I mean, I mean, they could have Here's the three breakout. best. Players. Yeah. Um, how about Notre Dame? Proven coach. Ooh. I would probably lean towards Butler. Notre Dame's relying on a freshman. They're very thin up front. We have a weird roster for Notre take Dame. Take Butler. I think I would take Butler. Very perimeter heavy. How about Texas A&M? Um, Butler. No, no, no. Well, A&M. A&M. A&M also has a weird roster where unless unless you're in on like a, a Manny Obaseki jump, but I think finish the year strong, um, they're missing kind of top-end talent. The thing, the thing last year is they played each other, and A&M was just so like overwhelmingly more athletic. Hmm. And I think that's still the case. Oh, yeah. I think it's slightly less noticeable because of Bates um, in particular. And Ali helps a little bit, but I think particularly because of, of Bates. But still, like, like Butler looked like George Washington last year. Now Butler kind of looks like, I don't know, 
Dayton or VCU, you know? Yeah. Those are two more. How about St. John's versus Butler? Johnny's. Johnny's, Johnny's, Johnny's. Even though Corbello apparently really stunk it up on this uh, overseas trip. I know. I'm concerned. But Mike Anderson, high floor. Very high floor. And then lastly, Oklahoma. Uh, Oklahoma. I would take Oklahoma. I know you're not a Shurfield guy. Not a Shurfield guy, but I am a Porter Mosier guy. And they were not a great team roster-wise last year, and they were still 30th in Ken Palm. So. Are you a Joe Bamisil guy, former Northwestern? I commit? do like Joe Bamisil quite a bit. Big big numbers on a bad GW team last year. That's correct. Um, going with playing from a ball-dominant point guard in James Bishop to a ball-dominant point guard in Grant Sherfield. That is true. Uh, so- Sooners, I think, have an underrated bench, too. Yes, think, lots think of, like, top 75. Yeah. yeah. Um, back back to where we were. Right. We were so, talking think, about, so so yeah. so Butler, we're basically saying they're going to be better, but we don't think they're probably. A, I don't think we're we're, we're there on a tournament. Probably there on an IT. Um, Xavier, yeah. How, how good do we feel about them getting the tournament being good? I think I feel pretty good. Just think, one one last thing on Butler. I mean, where are they going to get the talent to jump some of these teams? They still just recruit at such a a low level. I mean, the Bates pickup was huge. That's probably because they have Greg Oden on staff. Um, but like, do you, do you have faith in them reliably pulling like a good starter or two every year? No. And, and I certainly don't have any faith that they're going to set up NIL because that department runs well behind the times. And we know Georgetown and and, and St. John's can can pull the talent. We we don't know. Exactly what they can do with the talent all the time, but they can certainly pull it. Uh, now, now, over to Xavier. I, I think this is going to be a good Xavier team. People, including your man, uh, Mr. Jeremy Wu, was very high on Colby Jones. Oh, yeah. Top 20. Top 20 pick. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, which is weird because he, he's not a shooter. He, he's not shoot the ball very well, uh, but he... He does have a great floor game. He, I, I talked him off the Colby Jones over Arthur Kaluma ledge. He nearly did, and then I think he put him back to back. Yeah, Kaluma's a better shooter, has better size, potentially can. They're the same age. Yeah, played three and a four. Uh, but yeah, but Jones I, had. Actually, I do actually think that's interesting though. Colby Jones and is the same age as Arthur Kaluma. Uh, he had an arguably better season last year than Arthur Kaluma, and everyone's like Arthur Kaluma is going to be like the next superstar, and nobody like talks about Kobe Jones. <clears throat> I I think because Kaluma just projects as a better shooter than Jones. True. True. Uh, but but Jones even from from the jump he had a noticeably good floor game, and he had a great NIT last year. Um, I think he'll be the best player on this team. I think Jack Nunji. You know he was someone who I, I was like, what the hell is Xavier doing? Taking this guy, and it turns out Fremantle cratered. You know, he had a terrible season last year, and, and they really needed Nunji. Um, and now Sean Miller, I guess, will will try to play both together again. Um, something that once Jonas Hayes took over and moved Fremantle to the bench, Xavier won the NIT. But on, on, on paper, it looks like Sean Miller's got to try to at least play them together and see if he can do it better than Travis Steele. Yeah. Uh, the, but, one, the, the one thing I will say with Xavier is, like, we can't 
we can't discount the fact that like because Xavier never stunk under Travis Steele, we have the tendency to think, oh, like, you know, like they, you know, this wasn't, you know, he wasn't that bad. No. Like it, it, it was really bad. Like. I said from the jump, he was the worst coach in the going, Big East after he going, blew that first season with Najee going, Marshall. Going four years without a tournament at Xavier, like that's to me as bad as like the two and twenty-two crater at Iowa State from Steve Prome. That's he as bad had as three team. tournament bids the last three years. He had them in his hands. <laughs> it's impossible. It's impossible to cons- right like having one bad year is almost like understandable. Like they consistently like had teams and then screwed it up, right? Like mid-season. There is a baseline level of competence that comes with Sean Miller that I think can't be like appreciated enough when we're comparing it to the Travis Steele era. So, so no, when I asked you, you know, what what are people saying as to why Xavier just falls off a cliff? And you said, well, Travis Steele's easy to prepare for. And then I remember I was listening to, uh, I, I think it was Field of 68, could have been Three Man Weave. And they uttered the same exact line. So that's clearly the talking point that's being fed, you know, among coaches or analysts or whoever, is that he was easy to prepare for. But what could he have been doing that was so (laughs) different from every other coach in the country that his teams fall off a cliff three years in a row? Like, there's – Oh, man. What was he doing so different? He was an assistant under Chris Mack who got them to, like, the Elite Eight. He got a one seed. He just did do what he did. Anyway. Quickly, I think, Seton Hall, where do we feel about them? I think they'll probably, like, meet expectation. Like, they'll be, they'll be like, a nine seed. You know, I don't have, like, a lot to say about the Seton Hall team right now. I just feel like, yeah. I think – just just one last thing on Xavier. I, sure, sure, sure. I, I think they're 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 fringe top twenty five. I think I'm gonna put them in there. Ooh. The the X factor is the point guard. Sule Boom. How how does he fit with this roster? How did he translate up to the Big East? Um, and then this 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 bench is really solid. Oh yeah. I mean down down to number twelve. I, all all these guys can play. And well, your boy Deontay Miles. Right, he's good. You love Deontay Miles. Again, a lot, a lot of people with these bigs, okay, the game, the, their game isn't pretty. They have no offensive skill. It doesn't matter. He's an impactful defensive player. Cesar Edwards showed some flashes last year. He was a great recruit. Elijah Tucker was a top 125 recruit who redshirted last year. Kraft and Claude are both, like, top 75. They have the ultimate wild card, Kiki Tandy, who's been hurt forever. But when uh, he was healthy... He, he could really score it, and then J- Jerome Hunter played a lot last year. He, he's a he's a fine sixth or seventh man. So they they, they have a, a very strong bench. Yep. Seton Hall, yeah, I have them as 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 like a ten seed. I guess they're going to play a ton of guys per Shaheen's usual direction. I think the top end talent might be missing. I think Kadari could make that jump. I like Trey Jackson a lot. Um, but I mean, their their top nine is rock solid. Their their top nine is awesome. Um, but is is there enough top end talent? I think that's that's the question here for Cino. Probably not. 
Um, yeah, that's just it feels very high floor, relatively low ceiling. You know they're going to defend. We shouldn't ignore. Like I get that their offense was really like fun to watch and like well run in the NCAA tournament. We 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 shouldn't like completely sweep under the rug the fact that under Shaheen Holloway, St. Peter's offensive efficiencies uh, in Ken Palm were. 231 this past year, which I think was their best year. They had a couple of 300s in there. And again, part of that's talent. I get that. Uh, 339, 300, and 327. Yeah, part of that's talent, but we, like, I don't think we can count on this being a really good offensive team or even a very, like an okay offensive team. Like, they might stink on that other floor because I don't think they have great talent in that regard offensively. They don't have elite scoring. They don't have high-level efficiency guys when you look at the histories of Dawes and Odakale. So, that would be my concern with Seton Hall. I think Dre Davis or Casey Indefa, whoever it is, is going to be the best ninth man in the country. That's true. That's true. Uh, but also, second best player, Trey Jackson. Yep. Could could be fine. Best player, Kadari Richmond, could be fine. Uh, but that's 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 the worry for me. Yep. That's fair. All right, SEC. Got a bunch of new coaches. Um, I'll just first hit you with this, and we can kind of hit on the others briefly. Todd Golden, Mike White, Matt McMahon, Chris Jans, Dennis Gates, Lamont Paris. For this year only, who do you think has the best team? Who do you think does the best compared to expectations and why? All right, I'm just scrolling through to make sure I have all of the new coaches. I think the best new new performance is going to go to Todd Golden. Right. I think Florida is going to be a top 25 team. Um, Castleton is going to be a fringe All-American probably. I think um, he he's up there as one of the best bigs in the country of the second tier, right? So like he's not Hunter Dickinson or Trace Jackson Davis, or Armando Baycott, but I think he's right there with Kalk Brenner, Adama Sinogo, um, whoever else is, a, a, a Zach Eady, guys like that, in, in, in that second tier. I like the roster makeup. Kyle Lofton, super experienced point guard. He's been on good teams. Will, Will Rich is getting a lot of draft Twitter buzz. Depth is really strong. This, uh, you know, maybe Riley Kugel has something to say about me declaring Dre Davis the best ninth man in the country. Um, Trey Bonham season. Yeah. I mean, they got a transfer to be their backup point guard. That's pretty cool. You love that. Kawasi Reeves off the bench, presumably. Niles Lane might not even play. He's a good who do you have as Who do you have as a starting foreman? Alex Fudge. Oh, yeah. I'm going to start Reeves with Richard and Jones, but... You could absolutely do – it could be fudged totally, too. Yeah. So I think Florida is the best team. I think that they're, they're a top 25 team. I think you're um, right. They're the best team. I agree. Best team out of the new coaches. Yeah. Uh, but one one guy who sneakily built a, a solid team late, I think, is Chris Jans. Interesting. Where Mississippi State's roster was so barren for so long. Guys were in the portal and came out that when you – when, when, when you take a step back and look at it, it's like, you know, this team might be okay. Their defense should be pretty good. Now, it's very transfer-heavy. 
I don't think that they're going to make the tournament, but I think they'll be a solid like four or five seed NIT team. I, I don't think any Mississippi State fans will be upset with how this year goes. Tolu Smith had a great year last year, right? I'm a huge Shaquille Moore guy. They have transfers coming off the bench. They have good recruit coming off the bench and Kamani Hamilton as a combo forward. Yeah. I have them as Davis, Moore, Cam Matthews, Jeffrey Smith with McNair, Eric Reed, Jamel Horton, and Kamani Hamilton off the bench. No, um, uh, Tyler Stevenson? He is my 11th man, but that could be wrong. We'll see. Um, um, either way, I mean, I, I actually I actually like that a lot. I think um, – you know, the other thing that I would kind of toss in there, toss in there as like a relevant point in favor of Mississippi State is Chris Jans has been a JUCO coach. Chris Jans has coached in Mexico State, which at times kind of feels like a JUCO. He's used to like turning a roster, putting it all together. Like this is not a guy who th- thrives in continuity, right? Like he will be okay working it out with these new guys. It's it's a lot of egos, right? That I think you worry about, right? Like a lot of these guys have, you know or our kind of last chance you in it, if you will. But I think Jans is the right coach to deal with it. I think that's a great pull, Brad. Um, I'll take LSU, though, I, in terms of the upside, right? I obviously think, I think Florida's the best team. I think it makes sense. Like, that's pretty obvious. But we've talked about this much on the show. I mean, man, just kind of pieced it together and, you know, didn't go fast. But like, there's legit talent here, right? You have Adam Miller. Do like, they have the same issue with Seton Hall where they just don't have enough top-end talent, you know, thing? Well, right, but why can't Adam Miller be top-end talent? Adam Miller averaged nine points a game as a freshman on a team that got a one seed. And, like, like that guy would be, like, the breakout name and was a, an elite transfer. And then, like, because he's well, sitting, he was hurt all last year. Right, but it's an ACL. Like, everyone comes back from ACLs. It wasn't Achilles. They, they don't come back right away. But this will be a full, full year ACL. This will not be, you know, six months. Would would you put Adam Miller in the same category as Kadari Richmond in terms of breakout? Breakout, yeah. I think Adam Miller is better than Kadari Richmond. I think it's more likely that Kadari Richmond becomes a legit best player next year than Adam Miller. But slight. Not, I don't know how um, we can measure that, but that'd be a fun little prop bet. I, in, in, in it's a, entirely subjective. In a crazy coincidence, I have Seton Hall at 39, LSU at 40. All right. How about that? Uh, yeah, right? Like, like Adam Miller and Tyrell Ward, those are guys with elite pedigree. Wilkinson is a good player. KJ Williams, elite transfer. Justice Hill can play the point. You've got Kendall Coleman, good transfer. Justice Williams, good recruit. Trey Hannibal. Right, you got all these pieces here. You know, I, I, I like this. I, I think there's something here. If you get a real Adam Miller, if you get a 15-point game Adam Miller to go, to go with top 30 recruit Tyrell Ward, to go with you know KJ Williams, sign me up. This is a team where I, I didn't really consider any of these guys as top 100 players, but there's, e- there's easily a world where Adam Miller or Tyrell Ward or KJ Williams become top 100 guys. And then beyond that, there, there are even guys who have great pedigrees and you could easily see breaking through. I mean, Justice Williams was a reclass guy who was a top 50 recruit. Juice Hill was, you know, an, 
integral part of a very good Murray State team. So there there is a path for LSU to be like top twenty five good. I I have them at, at forty. I'm a little worried on the top end talent, uh, but I think LSU fans should be pleased with with forty. I mean there was a there was a scenario, there was an alternate universe where this team was like riddled with sanctions and had like four players. Yes. Agreed. That's what it looked like at one point. Andrew Slater tweeted that the spigot was off. The spigot was off. And then it turned immediately back on. Are there any mid-major names? Because we've hit on pretty much all the big ones at this point, other than Kevin Willard, who I really have no thoughts on Maryland this year. Um, are there any like mid-major names, off-the-beaten-path names that you want to mention? We mentioned Frank Martin already. Um just a one one last SEC thing. I sure. think Georgia, I think Georgia fans might be a little disappointed with Mike White this year. Like when those moves were popping, like when they were coming in, I was like, wow, Mike White's turned it around. They're kind of like the opposite of Mississippi State. Like when when you take that step back, is this team any good at all? Really? I I, I still have I, probably I, not. In my preliminary SEC rankings, I put Georgia one spot out of Mississippi State. I think they're both kind of like four or five seed type NIT teams. But like you take the step back and it's like, oh, Jabri Abdurrahim and Jishwan Holt, I guess they could be good. They haven't done a ton. Moncrief, I guess he could be, you know, Moncrief and Anselm, same thing. Aquendo, best player. I mean, he, he had a great year, but Georgia stunk. They ble- he blew through it too fast, Mike White did. Yeah. He had all Mid major guards he got, you know. Right. Instead of waiting around, you know, he just he said, okay, you know, Matthew Alexander Moncrief will sign up. Let's do it. Everything was good in the moment. Everything was good in the vacuum. But like you take the step back, mm-hmm. and this team, I don't think, aged very well. Yep, agreed. Uh, some mid-major names I like: Eric Peterson, South Dakota. I think he's going to do a great job there. I think they're going to win early. Chris Gerlifson, San Francisco. Got Ghost Roberts. Got Khalil Shabazz back. Got Marcus Williams from AM. Got Saba Gigi Beria to be the big man. I don't I've seen like some WCC fans tweeting like, oh yeah, like Chris Gerlifson's gonna get San Francisco back to the tournament in year one. I'm like, no. No, 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 sir, he is not. But we saw with Iowa State that. I have to say that now every time. What these people have done to us. One random one I will add. Uh, Corey Gibson, Northwestern State. He brought in like a stunning amount of talent to Northwestern State. And that league is so winnable because uh, it's so bad that like, you know, it wouldn't stun if he like randomly won the league. Um, they did that. Uh, who did it last year? Um, the guy, Steve Lutz, Texas A&M Corpus. Same deal. I think they'll win right away. Any others that I'm like very excited about? Dan um, Earl, Chattanooga. Sign me up. They got the kid Stevens to follow. He has like a seven foot nine wingspan and can shoot threes. Cool he's player. A, he's a plotter though. Who cares? It's the SOCON. We'll see if that matters. But um it did, this is this isn't Oh, how about, how about Steve Lavin? No. He definitely got the guys. 
culture is going to be awful there. Why? Because he fired the coach to hire like his brother-in-law or something? He fired, yeah, fired Marty Bahar. He strong-armed, uh, strong-armed Mark Salas on LinkedIn and having to say there were some, uh, he, he had to, uh, deploy some creative recruiting tactics to land some not that elite transfers. Not talking about Eric Williams and Jaden Dillard. They're elite for them. But the transfers below that, they had to use some uh, creative recruiting that may learn may lead to some uh, issues. So I would not be a I would not be drinking Lavin Kool-Aid. I don't think this is gonna go well. I, I've been burned on many talented Lavin teams led by oh, yeah. Jakar Sampson and D'Angelo Harrison and those Sir Dominic are Pointer. You love those teams. I love those teams, yeah. Um, saying, saying in the WCC, are you in on St. Mary's? I feel like they've, they've been – there's a roster that you kind of left for dead, and they lose Toss, they lose Kuzi, right? Yeah. But I, I, I just feel like there's St. Mary's optimism bubbling beneath the surface. Well, people do love Mr. Marshallonis, which you hold back on. So. Well, when I watched – that was U19, I think, last year. I watched him. He was very blah. I think – I don't know that I would put them in as a tournament team right now, but I think that would be a hot take compared to wherever the people have. Do you like them more than San Francisco? Talent-wise, no, but Yes. Do you like the, you must might must like them more than San Diego, right? Yes, of course. I like them more than BYU. I I don't like BYU at all. The minute you told me Colin Chandler's not coming, I'm I'm out. Yeah. I'm with you there. Completely unrelated. Oh dear. If this is if this is an A10 related nugget, I'm gonna lose it. No. Um, Go ahead. Two, two teams that are c- kind of growing on me for next year. It's like the, the more I look at them, the more I'm just like nudging them up my rankings. Washington and Cincinnati. Those are two very different teams. Right, Washington is going to be huge. And Kefnong is finally going to, you know, Oregon's always had like five, five-star centers. You got him. You got all this length. Noah Williams could have bounced back. People loved him coming in the last year. Do you have any faith in Hop, though? I, I have faith that the, these guys in his zone could be really crazy. I mean, there, there's I, just so much length. I just, feel, I just feel like the vibe is dead there. I, so, I, I mean, they were what? They were 10-8 and 8 last year in the Pac-12 or whatever, but their Ken Palm was, like, horrible. They, they were, like, the nowhere North near the Illinois. tournament. They were like Boston nowhere North near the tournament. Illinois. And I was like, oh, so is Hopkins getting fired? And then I was like, oh, wait, they were 10 and 8. Maybe he won't get fired. And we were like, there's no way he's getting fired. He's safe. That, that was kind of alarming to me. That, that like Washington is so low. They're like an empty comp, conference record save. Though. But I am, I am kind of in on them. I don't have them in, in the tournament. I, I have them as like a two seed in, in the NIT right now. But they're, they're, they're creeping up daily almost. I think that's way too high. And then Cincinnati. 
Bench should be. I mean, they, they have experienced guys coming off the bench. They got good size. They, they you know, I, I think it was even the last podcast. I, I was kind of down on the Adams Woods fantasy backcourt. Yeah. But the the rest of the team around him, I think, is gonna be very good. I mean, Julius and Nally are really gonna score it. So maybe it's okay that their point guard just a little more blah, there seems a little to more be of a table of, setter. Uh, there seems to be a lot of Victor Locking excitement. Yeah, yeah, he had he had flashes last year. He was a rotation guy. Davenport started last year, I think. They're they're, yeah. they're gonna have a top like fifty recruit off the bench in Daniel Skilling. So upon second glance, I actually kind of like this Cincinnati team. I like UCF too, which I'm kind of nudging them down every day as I nudge Cincinnati up to the point where they may flip. But I, I've always been a big Darius Johnson guy. I think he's like the exact type of point guard you need in college basketball. Three-level score, tax the rim, good, good recruit. And they made some nice moves around the margins. They have a lot of athleticism. I have nothing else to add, partially because I spent the long weekend in uh, Fort Lauderdale and thought as little as possible about basketball outside of Keontae Johnson. So We, we uh, can't go yet. We, we have to go over our uh, class of 2031 high school ranking. Yeah, actually, we should hit, we should hit on this. The guy well, – well, there there was a bunch in the last like, two weeks. There was the – like – Weird ass Washington Post article about like the second graders whose dad thinks they sh- they're gonna get an IL deal soon. <laughs> There's like the made hoops guys who are tweeting about like the class of 2029 and this kid being a very promising prospect. All of these people who talk about pe- kids who are in the eighth grade, who are in the sixth grade, who are in elementary school, <laughs> they're bad people. What you are I, doing I, to a 12-year-old is not fair. I need to stop. I I was thinking a lot about the made hoops one. That was the one I I was on Twitter one day and I saw they tweeted out it was like 2028. I was like, oh my god, and I sent it to you. And then like a couple of tweets later, I saw 2031. I was like, oh my god, we're doing 2031 rankings. Was that like third grade? It's complete crap. But I, I think what's going on is I think that they're they're just like running tournaments for third graders, which is fine. Yes. But I think maybe there's like a part of the come play in our tournament that we're setting up is like we'll tweet about the best play. You know, like no, no, team, yeah, team CP3 12 year olds come play in my tournament and and I will tweet out the player of the game or something as. As like an incentive for those teams to sign up for that tournament. That I will say that is general small potatoes compared to like the the dad who said his kids are working out 35 hours a week and they're in second grade. That's and like the dad like called a timeout from like the side like from from the like the stands and like went into the huddle and like told the coach that they had to run like a play for the their kids like for the kids and like the kids were like introduced at the beginning of the camp. As like the best second graders in the nation. <laughs> we have no idea if these kids are even going to be tall. 
I think they said like the dad was like five foot nine. Like there's like these kids are going to be wind up like Julian Newman and it's going to be very sad. And it need, and again, it needs to stop. It is like, like doing what people. And, and I mean, I, I was, I was upset about like Sierra Canyon going on the overseas tour. And I was upset about the, uh, I tweeted about this like a month ago. Yeah, there, there's like the ESPN thing in Vegas right after Peach Jam that had Strive for Greatness, which is Barney's team against like Midwest Basketball Club. Um, and then now they're going to like, these are 16 year olds. These are 17 year olds. They have their entire lives ahead of them where their world will be dictated entirely by basketball, right? Bronny James, as soon as he steps onto a college campus is going to have his entire life be basketball. He's going to play in the NBA. Like, why do we need to make a kid play double headers at Peach Jam for a week, then fly to Vegas to play a made for TV game one day later, then two weeks later fly to Europe just so they can play on television so that there's other things to sell. Like this is the stupidest thing I have ever seen in my entire life. What are we doing? They are children. Let them be children. Let Bronny James play video games. Let him, you know, Snapchat girls. Like why do we need, why does Bronny James need to play against U18 Italians? For the second grade guys, though, I mean, maybe there's an untapped market. Maybe there's a gold mine waiting for them for, like, little tiny basketball shoes for, yeah. like, el- elementary school kids. It, this, the, the, the second graders are who uh, Glowball should have sponsored. Yeah. <laughs> that, no, that's, a, that's a product for a second grader. God. Also, I mean, these, these kids are the best second graders in the country. And the dad know? had to tell the coach to run a play for them. Actually, how how do they know? Like, does someone go around to like all the local like gyms in like big cities? So oh, this is the best. Yeah, how do they have any idea? <laughs> you don't even know it's the best second grader in the town. <laughs> you have no idea. It's so freaking absurd. But, this is a kid that goes to Catholic school who's like twice their size or something that like he <laughs> doesn't play on the rec team. Um, but also, I mean. You you can't get kids to run a play until they're in like eighth grade. Like one thing like goes wrong and they just like say Fair screw enough, it. Yeah. like screw it. We're, we're going rogue. Um, well, that's that's all I have. I have no more to add on this podcast. As someone who's ref second grade basketball before, like. I can't express how like second graders are like babies. They're like incredibly tiny. They can't even reach the hoop. They moved the hoop down to like seven feet for them. I actually would have ranked. We're ranking the best second graders on seven foot hoops. I would have been curious to know in that story, like if those kids were playing on 10 all the time or not. They, they have these like baskets that they attach over the main baskets to make them smaller, with, like <laughs> tiny little backboards. Anyway, well, enough with that rant. Uh, we will see you all next week. Uh, it could be September by the next time you hear our voice, our voices. So. Oh wait, so. Oh boy. Oh, are we still 
doing conference previews? Have, have we been doing that the past few years? Well, I think like, we kind like, of tore it up during COVID, and then we brought it back last year. So one week per conference. Let's um, let's let's do a conference preview next week. We'll keep you posted as to what conference. Wait, wait, wait. Because do we want to tie? Or, well, I, hold on. So next week's going to be the 30th. So, yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's basically time to start doing conference start, previews. Yeah, let's do it. Because the season we'll, starts on the 7th. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, be, we'll, we'll give you a conference preview next week. Look forward to that. All folks. We'll see you next week.